Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team it's drive time now welcome to tribe talk on the cleveland indians radio network tribe talk is brought to you by progressive helping indians fans save hundreds on car insurance everyone welcome to tribe talk presented by progressive jim rosenhouse along with you this weekend from the oakland coliseum in oakland california where the indians open play after the all-star break with a tough one against the athletics jed lowry's two-run home run in the bottom half of the ninth inning won it for oakland five to four on a night where the indians did a lot of things well but saw oakland come away with the win a lot to get to on this week's show as we'll really focus in on the draft and some of the good stuff happening for the Indians in terms of adding players to their system. We'll hear from Matt Foreman, who's the Indians' assistant general manager, oversees the draft. Scott Barnsby, the director of amateur scouting for the Indians, he'll stop by and and give us a deep dive on a lot of the draft picks. So some good stuff coming your way shortly. And uh, first, though, we remind you a lot of different ways to pick up our show each week. You can do so on the radio, on the Indians radio network, usually sometimes Saturday pregame, uh, depending on when the Indians play that week, or on Indians.com, all the archived editions there, or also as a podcast wherever you download your favorite podcasts. We'll take a timeout and then come back and hear from Scott Barnsby about the draft after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians radio network. And now a game of Commercial Chicken, brought to you by Progressive, where we see how long Flo can go without talking about insurance. Ready? Go. Okay, so um, did you see that game the other day? <laughs> the refs, right? I mean, come on. They were totally out to get us. <laughs> that always happens to, uh, to our team. <clears throat> Drivers who switch to Progressive can save big. Okay, you win. We can't help but save customers money. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.
Welcome back to Tribe Talk presented by Progressive Jim Rosenhouse along with you in Oakland this weekend and back home in Cleveland earlier this week. It was the annual amateur draft, the influx of talent that uh, the Indians and all the other teams in baseball try and get right every year. And uh, in a lot of cases, the Indians doing very well in that regard. Uh, you look back to 2016, what a great draft that was that produced Shane Bieber, Aaron Savali, and Zach Plezak, just to name a few. And they were at it again this week. Scott Barnsby's the director of amateur scouting for the Indians. And they took a, a college pitcher, Gavin Williams, out of East Carolina University with their first pick, the 23rd overall. And Scott talked about what they saw in Williams as they scouted him preceding the draft. Man, I can start by telling you we've got a lot of history with Gavin going back to his time at Cape Fear High School. Um, this guy is a big physical 6'6 right-hander. Um, it's been a really impressive uh, progression with his stuff and his feel. Um, this year he dominated in college. He ended up throwing 81 innings, only allowed 57 hits, and uh, struck out 130 batters. Uh, in his last start of the year against Vanderbilt on the biggest stage, uh, he ended up throwing seven and a third, struck out 13, and he held 97 the entire game. Um, so just a physical right-hander, power arm, up to 100 miles an hour. Um, he's held his velocity all spring. Two different breaking balls, uh, both of them power breaking balls. Uh, we feel like he's going to get swing and miss with his fastball, his curveball, and his slider. Um, hasn't had to use the change as much, but we feel like there's going to be a feel for it there as well. So uh, really excited about adding him. Uh, Pete Loizo, our scout in the Carolinas, has done an incredible job getting to know Gavin. Um, and as we've continued, just like we do on any player, do our best to know them as well as possible. Um, Pete and the rest of our organization has certainly done that. Spent a lot of time talking to uh, the people around Gavin that know him best and, and really uh, impressive things to say about him in terms of the competitor he is, the work ethic, the drive he has. So really excited to add him to the organization. Yeah, so I think it goes back. So he's a great program, a program that, that really pushes their players. Um, and Gavin has responded to that. Um, the work ethic, um, he's, again, I think it starts with him being an extreme competitor and not wanting to, um, to back down. We had a recent conversation with him, with, and he shared um, a few examples of, of where um, he always wants to be the best player on the field. He always wants to compete against the best. And you can just, just talking to him, you could tell there was that, that inner drive there. So um, I think that speaks to the person he is. But then also that work ethic in terms of ma maintaining his throwing program, maintaining um, his workouts, maintaining his routines in between starts. He's done a great job with that all season. Um, so I think that ha has led to some of the, the progression. And then there's also, you know, the benefit of him being 6'6 six, six and a physical uh, kid to start with. So um, it's been great. So that's the rundown on Gavin Williams, the Indians' first selection. On Monday, that was day two of the draft, and it was picks two through ten with the focus again on pitching. Uh, so we kicked it off with uh, Doug McKay today. Uh, he is, uh, I guess we're excited about all these guys. You know, we'll probably talk in a little bit uh, the number of pitches that we took. But this is an athletic lefty from Ole Miss. Uh, Doug actually set the Ole Miss freshman record with 86 strikeouts passing. Uh, Drew Pomeranz on the list in his freshman year. Um, he was a reliable weekend starter. Uh, for the last couple of years, played for Team USA in 2019. Um, he's just had a really successful career. In terms of his stuff, uh, he's been up to 95, works comfortably with an average fastball. Uh, there's life and deception. Uh, it's two quality breaking balls, misses bats with both of them. He's 
got a feel for the changeup um, that we think is going to continue to develop into a quality pitch for him. Throws a lot of strikes, misses bats, and uh, I feel like he's going to be a really good, reliable uh, starter for us long term. Uh, so that's Doug. Tommy Mace, uh, another you know, big, durable workhorse here, um, starter for the University of Florida, taking the ball consistently over the last four years. Uh, he's six sticks. I feel there's still some projection left to the frame. Uh, he's touched 97, uh, pitches with a plus fastball. There's two different breaking balls with Tommy. Um, both of them are effective. Another guy that's got a good feel for the changeup, he throws strikes, and, and another um, athletic right-handed we feel is like going to settle into the rotation for us. Um, and then we ended up taking a, our first position player and actually our only position player um, for the 10 rounds. We took Jake Fox out of Lakeland Christian High School in Florida. Jake comes from a really athletic family. Uh, his dad played professional baseball, actually played with Doug Carpenter, who's one of our scouts. And uh, his mom ran track and field in college. And, and just like all of these guys, our scouts have done an incredible job getting to know him. Uh, Andrew Krause uh, was the leader in Florida for us. Uh, you know, uh, building a foundation here. We really like the total package. Uh, in terms of his offensive ability, uh, it's a left-handed bat. It's an advanced approach, um, short path. This guy's got a natural field to hit. He understands the strike zone. And it's really been a nice project, uh, progression with the power. Uh, we feel that the, there's more to come with the power. Uh, he's an athletic shortstop. Uh, the actions, the instincts to stay in the middle of the field. He runs well. Uh, we've actually seen an increase with his speed as he's continued to develop physically. Uh, really impressive makeup. He's a leader on the field. Uh, he competes, constantly works to get better. Uh, so pretty excited about Jake as well. Uh, and that led us to Ryan Webb. Uh, Webb's a left-hander from Georgia. Uh, Webb, he, Ryan worked primarily out of the pen early in his career in Georgia. Um, he settled into the rotation uh, this past year, performed really well prior to injuring his elbow in May. Uh, and I could touch on that in a little bit. Um, his velocity made a jump this year. It was up to 95. Pitched comfortably in the 91-92 range. Um, there's two different breaking balls with Ryan. There's finish and shape to both of them. Uh, really effective from the left side. Feel for the changeup. Uh, so a lot of good qualities here uh, where we think he's going to be successful once he comes back from the injury. Obviously, we have a lot of faith in our, our medical staff um, to get him back to full strength and uh, feel like when, once he works through the rehab process, uh, we'll partner with him to do that, and he'll be a really good, in a really good spot on the back end. Uh, Is that Tommy you, John? Yes, Tommy, yeah, Tommy John. Yeah, yep, Tommy John. Uh, and there's, you know, obviously some other examples in the past, Plesak and others that we've taken that, you know, have been in a similar situation, which worked out well. So, um, uh, and then next we jumped to Tanner Bybee. Uh, he's been a mainstay in Fullerton's rotation, uh, Cal State Fullerton's rotation the last few years. Um, he's a really reliable starter. He's improved his velocity this year. He was up to 95. Pitched in that 91-92 range, uh, a quality four-pitch mix. Another guy that throws a lot of strikes. Uh, so excited about his potential to be a really reliable starter for us as well. And then we took Aaron Davenport out of the University of Hawaii. Uh, Aaron is a three-sport, he was a three-sport athlete in high school, playing uh, baseball, basketball, football. Ended up going to the University of Hawaii. Um, he's he worked as a starter there. He's been up to 94. Pitches primarily in that average range, but can reach back for more. Uh, this guy can really spin the breaking ball. He's shown the ability to add, subtract, uh, expand the zone with it. He's got late life on his changeup. Uh, maintains his arm speed, really effective against righties and lefties. 
I touched on the athleticism before. Uh, he can repeat his delivery. Uh, we feel like it's going to be above average control and command. Um, so another guy that uh, should end up as a reliable starter for us. And then Jack Lefwich, we continue to uh, work through the University of Florida, uh, 6'3", 225. Uh, he's been, been really effective for them uh, at the University of Florida for the last four years. Uh, he started for them, worked out of the pen. When he came out of the pen, it was high leverage situations. Uh, it's a plus fastball, been up to 98. He holds that plus fastball. We've seen a really nice progression with the breaking ball as well. Uh, I feel like that slider's got a chance to be a plus pitch for him. And then uh, we went to Rodney Boone, uh, similar uh, or same college as Shane Bieber. Um, we actually touched base with Shane, and he was excited about uh, Rodney, knows him well, and, and um, pretty excited about adding him to the organization. Uh, but this is a lefty, advanced feel and deception. He has been a mainstay in UC Santa Barbara's rotation since he arrived there on campus. Uh, it's an advanced feel for a changeup, effective breaking ball, uh, and some good qualities there for him to start as well. And then uh, ninth round was Will Dion, a left-hander from McNeese State. Uh, he has been a starter for them the last two years. Uh, another left-hander that's got uh, advanced feel. Uh, he's been up to 93. His comfort zone is kind of in that fringe average range, but it plays up with deception. Uh, he's got an advanced feel for the breaking ball and uh, just another guy that pounds the strike zone. And then uh, we finished out the day uh, with the University of Florida's right-hander, Franco Alman. He is 6'6", 235. Uh, he was actually an All-State baseball and soccer player in high school, so there's some athleticism there. Uh, big and physical. He's been up to 97. Um, shows the ability to pitch with a plus fastball. It's a solid average slider. you got to feel for the changeup. Uh, started his career at FIU and then uh, went to junior college for a year. And then he had a really productive summer in Cape in 2019. Uh, this year he ended up coming to Florida uh, and showed that he could pitch in a variety of roles for them. Uh, so, again, another guy we're excited about adding to the mix. So, going into the draft, we always talk about taking uh, best available player. I think looking back prior to this draft, if we had to pinpoint the strength of the draft, we would have told you, you know, college, but specifically college pitching. There was a lot of depth. And if you look back to last year, obviously there were only five rounds. So some of the pitchers that uh, we talked about it being a deep draft, and it turns out that this was a really deep draft in pitching. Um, didn't mean we didn't look to add position players. Uh, it wasn't, you know, the plan going in. But, you know, best available player, these, this group of pitchers lined up on our boards for us, and, th and that was the reason. And then day three, picks 11 through 20, more pitching for the Indians. And uh, Scott Barnsby explains and gives us some details on a lot of uh, the, the college pitching that they acquired. And if uh, after a long three days, he was happy that, that things had come to an end after 20 rounds. I don't know. I feel this way every time we get to this point of the year. It's certainly a, a sense of relief because you think about all of the work that has gone in to get us to this point. And the last thing you want to do is, is not have a productive draft. Um, so we won't find out for a while just how productive it was. But I can tell you, thanks to the work that everybody in this organization did, we couldn't have been more prepared. Uh, as things speed up during the draft, and we have – moving from potentially one player to the next. Uh, somebody could get picked just before we go. Uh, you have to be prepared and feel like we were uh, on point, uh, thanks to all of the work that our staff did. And the other thing to note, too, is, is on day three, any, throughout the entire draft, we're trying to maximize our draft 
pool. We're trying to, to get the most out of every single round. And you can't do that unless you know the true intentions of every single player, um, whether that be college players. It was a unique situation this year just because they were given that extra year of eligibility. And then with the high school players, uh, you always want to know what their true intentions are. Thanks to our staff, we did. Uh, we made some phone calls where I felt like we knew these players incredibly well um, and looking forward to getting every one of these players signed and out. And uh, so, yeah, that would, I guess that would uh, be the start. I'll give you a quick rundown. So Hunter Stanley, uh, right-hander from Southern Miss, we kicked off the day with him. Really quick arm, been up to 97. He initially pitched at a junior college and went to Southern Miss uh, first two years. He worked out of the pen and then he established himself in the rotation this year, ended up throwing 102 innings, only walked 19, struck out 127, ended up being second team All-American. Continued our trend with taking Friday night starters from Southern Miss. Um, Kirk McCarty still in close contact with, with Hunter. And then Joe Torres, uh, one of our pitching coordinators, knows him well. So really excited to, to get him into the organization. Connor Cox was our next pick, outfielder from Long Beach State. Uh, Right-handed bat, like the offensive ability. Uh, he had 366 this year, has a plan at the plate, uh, ended up, I think it was seven home runs. He can impact the ball, but he can also impact the game on the bases too. Uh, fearless defender in center field. Uh, and we obviously know him well, Carlos Muniz, who did a great job uh, on Connor, uh, played at Long Beach State as well. So there's certainly a connection there. Uh, and then we jumped to Davis Sharp, a right-hander from Clemson, really athletic, pitches a solid average fastball, can spin the breaking ball, throw strikes, uh, next was Trent Denholm uh, from UC Irvine. Uh, Trent actually played with Logan Allen, uh, Team USA, a few years ago. Uh, we've, you know, we've had an opportunity. I think I mentioned this yesterday. The last few years, um, you know, these players were certainly in the mix for us last year, and to be able to get them this year uh, was great. Uh, Trent has a really good field of pitch. His velocity jumped up a little bit this year, uh, touching 95. Um, so we feel like he's got the mix to, to be a starter, uh, similar to a lot of the other guys we mentioned yesterday. Uh, Alaska Abney, right-hander from Coastal Carolina, uh, works out of a unique slot, uh, up to 92, um, really deceptive from that sidearm submarine slot, uh, effective slider. Uh, Zach Petway, uh, four-year starter from UCLA, really advanced feel for the mound. Uh, Ty Thornton, right-hander from Arizona State, uh, he's been in the rotation, pitches with a plus fastball, effective secondary stuff, another guy that throws strikes. Uh, so excited to add every one of these guys to the organization. And uh, that was the group we took today. That's Scott Barnsby doing a nice job on the draft as always. And uh, we'll see how it, it pans out. You can't really tell until a couple of years down the line, but certainly the Indians have had some a good success in adding talent to the organization over the years. And we'll see if 2021 follows that path. When we come back, we'll talk to Matt Foreman. He's an Indians assistant general manager about the draft and some other things coming up as well when we return after this timeout. Well, folks, don't let it slip by without being a part of it. Tribe Talk continues from the Oakland Coliseum in Oakland, California. The Indians taking on the Athletics this weekend. Day baseball, 4.07 first pitches both Saturday 
and Sunday before the team moves on to Houston for a three-game series against the Astros. Matt Foreman is the Indians' assistant general manager, and we talked to him earlier this week about the uh, strength and pitching of this year's draft class and if he foresaw it being the this top-heavy in terms of pitching, which is the way the Indians went in this year's draft. Yeah, good question, Rosie. I mean, we, we talked about it uh, last week that, that the strength of this year's draft was really the college class and particularly the pitching after a five-round draft in 2020. You know, with that said, I, I don't know that I would have anticipated we'd, we'd end up taking 19 out of 21 pitchers and, and 18 of those as college pitchers, but uh, the draft is unpredictable in that way, and uh, we're really excited to be able to, to add this group of 19 arms to the organization and have them uh, go to work with our pitching development infrastructure. And when you look at, at that disparity in terms of pitching and position players, I know some fans were concerned, hey, what what about bringing some new position players into the system? But explain how that kind of evens out, not only from year to year, but the different avenues where you can gain talent into the organization, whether it's pitching or position players. Sure. Yeah. I, th- I think at each turn, um, each opportunity, we're looking to, to add the best player to the organization. Um, and that goes each round of the draft. It also goes for uh, the other acquisition opportunities we have as an organization. So um, our international signing classes of recent lore have been um, more position player heavy. This year's draft happened to be more pitcher heavy. Um, you know, it's funny. I think um, in the draft, you line up before each round. You think you have a handful of players in the mix, and sometimes players go right before your selection. Um, sometimes you get on the phone with a player or their advisor, and, th- you know, things change relative to their interests. And so this year, we ended up being a little bit more uh, pitching heavy. But at each turn, we thought we were getting the best player that we could add to the organization. You know, we feel that we've got good balance throughout our, our minor league system of, of pitchers and position players. Matt Foreman joining us, Indians assistant general manager, and uh, he had a, a large role in the draft just completed for the Indians. And and Matt, it's always fascinating to me how a player gains prominence where he can be taken as a first-round pick. And right-hander Gavin Williams out of East Carolina University is that Indians pick. For him, I, I know he's been on the radar at different points in his career dating back to high school. What elevated him? Uh, this past calendar year to the point where he is a first-round draft pick for the Indians. Yeah, Gavin really took a big step uh, forward this year. Um, the consistency of his performance was was remarkable. You know, his fifth in the NCAA and strikeouts per nine. Um, his stuff took a big step forward. You know, he averaged almost 97 miles an hour on his fastball. He was up to, to 100 miles an hour, and he really performed on the biggest stages. You know, he went, he went toe-to-toe with Kumar Rocker, a top-ten pick, um, out of Vanderbilt in the Super Regional. You know, he pitched seven and a third innings, struck out 13, and he really had those performances across the year. So a combination of performance consistency and his pitch profiles really taking a step forward vaulted him to uh, first-round consideration. It seems like with each draft there's a, a player or two that you may look at and, and from a draft perspective you think, you know, that this is really interesting. Maybe the numbers that, that are put up there uh, don't reflect the talent. And is there anyone in there maybe coming off an injury or something like that or a, a different type of background that that doesn't necessarily translate to numbers that you see where, where you picked this kid and said, uh, this is going to be really intriguing to watch because it could be really, really good? Yeah, I think we're excited about, about the entirety of the class. We ended up taking a lot of college pitchers, as we said, a number of whom were SEC performers. So the SEC is one of the best 
if not the best, uh, you know, conference in the country, Doug Nikhazy, um, our, our second round pick, you know, an SEC performer at Ole Miss, um, doesn't necessarily have the biggest stuff, you know, 89, 91, but was ninth in the NCAA in, in strikeouts per nine, took a big step forward this year, took a handful of pitchers from the University of Florida, uh, you know, three of their, uh, of their staff, staff members in Tommy Mace, Jack Lethwich, and Franco Alleman. Um, you know, Tommy's been on the radar for a number of years. Um, you know, top 100 guy at a high school, Team USA performer. Uh, Ryan Webb, you know, is a guy who at the University of Georgia, we ended up taking in the, uh, in the fourth round, um, recently underwent Tommy John surgery, but we're excited to, to help him rehab back. So um, a number of guys across the board, you know, really good performance track records, uh, playing in some of the best conferences in the country, and we're excited to see what they can do as they transition into, into pro ball. And certainly signability always a factor. Uh, what are these next steps now? I'm, I'm sure I, that conversation has already started with most and probably did before the draft even started. But um, what are the timetables where you, where you try and get those things done to get these pitchers into the organization and working with Indians coaches? So this year's signing deadline is August 1st. So that's the backdrop of, of everything here. But to your point, we've gotten to know these players uh, really well throughout the draft process. We understand their intentions and their motivations with respect to beginning their professional careers. So we have to work through through some things with the players and, and their advisors. Uh, once we have a few of those uh, T's dotted and I's crossed, they'll go through a physical uh, process to make sure that everything checks out there. And, and then we'll look to onboard them to the organization and partner with each one to help them become the best versions of themselves. And transitioning now, normally after the draft, uh, those involved in it, uh, can kind of take a deep breath a little bit, maybe a, a break of, of, of a short period of time. But uh, my goodness, you're two weeks away from the trade deadline. <laughs> what, what's going on uh, trade deadline wise? And, and how has that transition gone in, in the days following the draft? Yeah, Rosie, it's uh, with the draft pushed back this year into, into July. It certainly creates uh, a different challenge for some of our uh, scouting groups and player acquisition groups to, to help us prepare for for those acquisition opportunities. You know, it's, it's funny. We've actually, before we even got to the 2021 draft, our amateur scouting group was focused on the 2022 draft class. Some of our, our professional scouts have been focused on uh, professional players as well. And so um, we've had to balance some things there as a result of the compressed schedule between the, the draft and the trade deadline. And uh, we're doing the best we can to make sure we're prepared for, for those potential opportunities as well. Man. A whirlwind in terms of uh, acquisitions, it certainly seems, here in the, in the month of July. Matt, thanks for taking some time. I appreciate it, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Rosie. I appreciate it. That is Matt Foreman, Indians assistant general manager, talking about the draft and also the upcoming trade deadline as they dovetail right into that after uh, really spending a ton of time on the draft. July, a hugely busy month for front offices throughout baseball. Stay with us when we come back. We'll have a tribe tale from Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio. That's after this final timeout. Hang on, folks. This baby isn't over yet. Uh, sure, the players bring some skill to the game, but if I don't put them in my lineup, who cares? Not me. I'm Eric Rubino, fantasy baseball GM and league runner-up two of the last nine years. I use the progressive Name Your Price tool with options based on my budget. And for a guy that's used to being in control, it fits. Like this runner-up t-shirt. Champ gets a trophy, but you can't wear a trophy. Boom. Get options based on your budget with Progressive, even if you're not a legend in your own mind. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Tribe Talk presented by Progressive. We're at the Oakland Coliseum in Oakland, California, and we'll conclude this week's show with a tribe tale from Indians Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio. And in honor of All-Star Week, Bobby D. recently caught up with Ray Fossey to talk about the infamous 1970 All-Star Game. It's time for another Tribe Tale with Bob DiBiasio. Joining me now on this special All-Star edition of Tribe Tales is former Indians number one draft pick in 1965, catcher Ray Fossey. 1970 is your first full season as a big leaguer, and you are an all-star. The game is played in Cincinnati's Riverfront Stadium, 51,838 in attendance. It's an incredibly amazing, memorable game for you, Ray. Well, let's go back to the, the Sunday, um, which would have been July the 12th, the game on the 14th, Tuesday in Cincinnati, but caught another doubleheader in, in Cleveland in Sam McDowell, his wife, Carol, my wife, Carol, and I got on a plane and flew down. Carol and I had only been married, we got married April 4th of 1970, so this was, I mean, first of all, personally, to, to be an all-star in my first full year and, and have the first half that I did and be selected by Earl Weaver to be the backup uh, to Bill Freehand, who was voted in by the fans. But Sam and I got on the planes, and, and Bobby, at that time, there, there were not a lot of the fanfare that goes on now with the parties and, and the home run derbies and all that. So as we got to Cincinnati, uh, we just checked in the hotel. The next day, Monday, we had the workout in the afternoon. And Riverfront Stadium, I'll never forget, it was so hot because of the artificial surface. The workout is like 100-plus. And then you add the turf, which is even hotter. Guys were dancing around. But I was like a kid in a candy store, you know, being able to be an all-star. And, and I looked at the roster, uh, you know, as we're speaking, 49 years later, uh, that game occurring. And I know that because that's 49th wedding anniversary <laughs> right. as well. But, uh, you know, you. there Good are you. 19 <laughs> Hall of Famers. That were combined in that game in on that both game. the American National League, uh, like wow. Roberto Clemente and, and you know, Mays and, and, and all the greats on, on both teams. And, you know, to run up and down the deck, I remember Harmon Killebrew was saying, ah, oh, there's a kid in his first All-Star game. And I'm going, yeah, I've enjoyed every <laughs> bit of it. But uh, we had gone out the night before, which is Monday night after that workout. We're in the hotel lobby and uh, Sam and, and, uh, and I and our wives were there. And, and Pete Rose walked up and said, um, you guys do anything for dinner? I said, no. I didn't know Pete Rose from, from anybody. And so I was tagging along, and, and we go to dinner, ended up going to his house. And unbeknownst to, to me, I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, a great pitcher and, a, you know, all-time hits leader eventually. And but his wife's name is? It's Carolyn. So, you know, we have Carol, Carol, and Carolyn. You know, but, but, you know, over years, it's amazing how some people forget that. But I always bring up the fact that our wives were there at dinner. And, it's, you know, we didn't go back to the hotel and go to bed at 4 o'clock. Uh, uh, my wife, Carol, and I went back and, you know, 1 o'clock we were back. It was a night game the next day. So it's not like it was 4 or 5 in the morning. But uh, we were out to dinner and, of course, the, the play that occurred. But, you know, one of the, one of the great things uh, about that All-Star game, number one, being my first, uh, getting a chance to be there the 51,000, my wife Carol had never met my mother. And my mother, God rest her soul, Pauline Fossey, Marion, Illinois, was sent into Cincinnati by the hometown people. And they all signed this telegram, this long, I mean, thousands of people had sent best wishes. And the way my wife Carol 
recognize my mother, they said she will have a dozen roses when she gets off the plane. That's how I met, or oh, my oh, wife met my, my mother. Because I had met Carol and when I was playing for the Indians in Class A in Reno in 66. She was going to school, University of Nevada, Reno. At the time, I went on to play in the minor leagues. She went on to teach. We met, got married in 70. I remember asking Alvin Dark, I said, hey, uh, hey Skip, can, can I get married? He says, uh, yeah, but I want you back. That We got married on April the 4th. He said, I want you back on the 5th because you're the starting catcher on April 7th in Cleveland. So my honeymoon <laughs> was basically going to Reno where we met, getting married, flying back, and I was in uh, Tempe at the time, and I had some friends from my hometown look at me and go, wow, this is the major leagues, but I, you know, I celebrated my honeymoon that way but got a chance to come back to Cleveland that year. And So when we were down there, I mean, when we got married, we hadn't met. My, my mother knew of Carol, but they had never met. So this is how they met. But my wife gave up her seats with the families and got an extra ticket for my mother. So they're sitting in nosebleed section. And Bobby, when the, when the collision occurred, my wife didn't know what happened. She, all she heard was somebody in transistor radio, where well, there's been a collision at home plate and they're calling for an ambulance for Ray Fossey. My <laughs> wife goes, what? You know, my mother said, what? You know? And, uh, you know, all this happened. But it, it, was, it was a great fairy tale. And fortunately, the numbers that I had pre-All-Star game, 16 home runs, over 300, and 41 runs batted in. And I never hit more than 12. I hit two with a broken shoulder the second half of that right. season. Yeah, you kept a playing. Fra fractured, separated yeah. shoulder. We went to Kansas City, and I was playing, uh, hitting fourth. I remember telling Alvin Dark, I can't lift my arm above my head. And he said, don't worry, just handle the pitching staff. I said, as long as they show strikes, I'm okay, because <laughs> I couldn't lift my arm up. But uh, it was a memorable time, but I was proud to represent the Cleveland Indians. And in that game, get a chance to hit against my former teammate, Gaylord Perry. Exactly. Got a, a, you got a hit a, off, hit off and him. And a done. sack fly. Hey, 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 how about this? I'm thinking he's going to throw me a spitter. I'm going, right. what? A, how can you be so stupid in catching him in 72 That's and realizing right. that, you know, you don't look for it and hit it. But I did catch Sam McDowell, too. And yeah. uh, I remember in that game, Bobby, Johnny Bench came up. And I'm thinking – we, we didn't have the interleague play, so the only time I saw a National League team was in spring training. We'd sure. see the Giants in spring training, and, right. and I don't remember anybody else, but uh, maybe the Cubs. But I remember Johnny Bench came up, and Sam McDowell had one of the greatest change-ups in all of baseball. He had a fastball mid-90s yeah. and a change-up that you know, just guys would screw themselves in the ground. So Bench came up, and I called a change-up first pitch. He swung and missed. I said, okay, change up third. I threw, I called for three consecutive change ups, and he struck out. He looked, what are you doing? I said, you struck out, didn't you? You know, but I mean, future Hall of Famer. Wow. But, but see, that's how great of a change up yeah. Sam Howard that, that he could throw that and nobody could hit it. And, uh, but, it but he was amazing to catch him. Um, and then with the bases loaded, the sack fly, it was almost a grand slam. And of course, the first yeah. one happened in 1984 uh, with Fred Lent hitting right. it off. Freddie uh, Lent. Uh, right. Uh, um, uh, actually, Jan Gomes' father-in-law, um, can't think of his name now, but Hammaker. Hammaker. Uh, yeah, yeah. Atlee Hammaker. Atlee Hammaker right. gave up a grand right. slam to him, and Jan Gomes is married to his daughter. Yeah. But uh, that was the first in 84. I, I came close in 70. Yeah. But it was a thrill to play in the All-Star game, to represent the Cleveland Indians. And, you know, that's a play at home plate that's going to be remembered forever. Uh, Bobby, in the bottom of the 12th. Bottom of the 12th, yeah. And, and I, I did learn something in the in the – Bottom of the ninth, Dick Dietz was with yeah, the they Giants. They scored three to tie Well, it. don't remind me, but <laughs> but the one thing I said to Dick Dietz as he was coming up, his nickname was Mule. I said, Mule, I'll see you in spring training. Bam, home run. They scored two, and he. I came back up. I said, I'll never say that, that again. again. You know, oh, yeah, because I mean, it's just one of those things sure. that you never assume yeah. until the twenty seventh. Exactly. Yeah. But they tied it, and uh, but the one thing of the collision, and there's so many stories about it, but I never touched the baseball. See, over the years. 
people have written stories. Well, Ray Fossey couldn't hang on to the baseball. I always remind people, and if you're going to do a story, contact me because sure. I'll tell you the real <laughs> story. <laughs> or actually, our daughters, Nicole and Lindsay, Nikki and Lindsay, said, Dad, Mom, why don't you write a story? So we did a RayFossey.com yeah. to tell the story about, about the way it was. Collision. You know, right. and everything because over the years, there have been all these revisionist things that have happened. But I want people to know that I was not blocking the plate, number one. I positioned myself where the ball was being thrown by Amos Otis up the line right. as Pete Rose was coming around. He hit me. My glove flew off my hand. Right. The ball flew over my head. Yeah. I never touched That's the baseball. Right. I did a couple. And, Bobby, for many years, I said, what happened to the baseball? Clyde Wright, who was the pitcher, works for the Angels. Yeah. And I said that and one I, time. And Jarrett Wright's dad. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Good point. <laughs> but I remember saying that, and, Jarrett, and, and Clyde said, I caught it. I go, what do you mean? He said, everybody focuses on the collision. He said, I was backing up home. The ball goes over your head, me, yeah. and I catch it. He caught that's it where the ball, that he caught it on the fly. <laughs> oh and and that's what happened to baseball, something oh. I never knew. But, it, you know, it, it was great, again, as I reiterate, to, to represent the Cleveland Indians in the All-Star Game and to go with Sam. But so many stories have been told about that that are untrue. But that is the true story. We were out to dinner. I didn't know Pete Rose from Adam. And then we end up having this collision. Hey, how could a friend do that? I said, you know, that's not a friend if you just meet somebody the night before. Right. But a great, great time for me. I was selected the next year in 71. I couldn't play because, stupidly, yeah. I tried to break, I start a fight and uh, charge the mound. But, but that 1970 All-Star game was one that will always be a great memory because leaving on Cleveland after catching a doubleheader, going to Cincinnati and playing in that All-Star game, one I'll never forget. Well, remarkable yeah. story, remarkable memories. And, again, thank you for the trip down yeah memory lane and on behalf of tribe fans everywhere we wish you yep. and yours the very very best ray bobby thank you very much and it's always great to come back to cleveland especially in a special year to talk about a special time and uh, my heart deep down is still with the cleveland indians i wish you'd have won in 1997 <laughs> and in 2016 when rajay hit the home run i'm thinking yeah they're going to do it yeah. and eliminate that stigma of being yeah. the last of the only team the longest <laughs> team without winning world championship but it will happen but uh as a as a member of the oakland athletics for many many years now as a broadcaster. I still have to have my allegiance to them, but the Cleveland fans, Cleveland Indians are always deep down part of me. Well, it's always great yeah. visiting with her, buddy. Our latest tribe tale, Ray Fossey. As always, thanks to Indians Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio for another tribe tale. Always fun. Bobby D catches up with some great Indians alums. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Thanks so much to Brian Matze, as always, for helping to put together our show each week. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution. 
that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.